the apology went on quite a bit, but the, the, the bit I found particularly sad was I've had a personal Facebook account for years. The morning I made these comments, I was scrolling and I, and I brought up a specific issue. It was something that had been on my mind. I should have known too that I was stepping out of line. Oh, don't step out of line. Yes. Whatever you do, do not step out of line. For this woman, for this hugely successful, kind of cool woman, that she now, for just expressing an opinion... She can't step out of line. You can't step out of line. Hello, my name is Anne McElhaney. And my name is Phelan McAleer. Welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. Yes. What What's is happening in the Anne and Phelan Scoop today, Phelan? Well... Uh, we don't want to say we told you so, but we told you so. Finally, the New York Times catches up with what we said from the beginning of the pandemic. Remember, at the pandemic, we had a daily podcast called The Daily Virus. And we've been saying that the lockdowns and the school closures, school closures were going to destroy the American education system. They were, going to, they were going to encourage children not to go to school. They were going to get children out of the habit of going to school. It was going to be devastating for the poorest so just, children. So just three years later, only three yep. years later, the New York Times have caught up with us. Anyway, we'll get to that we'll story. We'll get to that. And the drought ends in California, but California has blown away any chance to take advantage of the bounty. More craziness from California. Yes. We'll bring you that story. They're basically guaranteeing water shortages forever. forever. And I think that's because they like it. But anyway, and example, 9,427,314 of why you should never apologize to the mob. An Irish singer is cancelled for stating the obvious in private. And actually stated, cancelled not for stating the obvious, but for apologizing, I believe. So we'll get on to that. And you've probably heard of the crooner, Jimmy Buffett, who died this last week the everyman or yeah he last the last in the last week or so the kind of the everyman you know the everyman but turns out according to my investigations very and you can correct me according to my investigations he had a little bit of a problem with the everyman but we'll come to that but before we even begin i wanted to start by saying to you you know because some of you probably every now and again because if you're like me you wake up and you think have i gone completely <laughs> mad or has the world gone completely mad and you might think you know and then sometimes you think you know what i'm exaggerating yes. it's not as bad as i think this is crazy i'm just an old person i'm just this middle-aged person looking back and saying ah it was all so simple back then so we have a little experiment i found an experiment that can prove to you that you actually are actually incredibly sane. So you can do this and we'll do it for you now and I'll help you with it. So you go to the Googling, go to the Googling and go to the Googling and look in Google and put in the question, can men menstruate? You put in that question and you get this answer from the Google. Having a period is not a feminine thing and people of all genders menstruate, hmm. including non-binary people, Mm. A-gender people, and even plenty of men. Yes. Menstruation doesn't change anything about your gender. It's just a thing that some bodies do. So, just to, to reassure you, you are absolutely sane. You are living in an insane world. Don't forget that. And... Be rest assured that this is the crazy world you're living in. Um, by the way, you should Google other things. And if you find other crazy questions, yes. you could ask the Googles and send us in the answers we'd love to hear by from the them. Way, by the way, didn't Picasso have a blue period? <laughs> okay, Philem, we're going to go on with the show now. So, first of all, Anne, it gives you no pleasure, but... It gives me no pleasure, but to, to say 
we were right all along. Yes. Sorry about that, but we were right all along. And it, and particularly, it gives me no pleasure to say, New York Times, you've just reported on a story that we reported on three years ago. Three, three years ago. Um, but that you seem to not be capable of discovering three years ago. So the New York Times have breathlessly written this past week about the devastation that school closures have wrought on young people, particularly with the rise in absenteeism, which is at a level that is just insane. The worst part of this New York Times story, right, Philip? I think the worst part well, of this New York Times that's story... A, that's a tough competition. It's a, yeah, always very hard to do that with a New York Times story. But I think the worst part of this New York Times story is the fact that chronic absenteeism among students in the schools that were that 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 had the most school closures chronic absenteeism is at 25% and chronic absenteeism is being absent from school for 3 to three and a half weeks um, which by the way in school terms i was a teacher back in the day i know it's hard for you to believe that i was and what's amazing though is Three and a half weeks to you and I may not sound very long, but in a school curriculum, it can be really, really awful because the, the thing that you really need to learn may well be being taught at that very time and they don't necessarily have time to go back. So, you know, in that K through 12 period, people are learning to read, to write, they're learning arithmetic. It's vital that they turn up. I mean, the, the statistics are, are shocking. 10% of students K to 12 on any day are not in class they're just missing a quarter suffer from chronic absenteeism and look this was easily predicted and even the New York Times you know they have to admit the reason the biggest reason for the rise seems to be simply that students have fallen out of the habit of going to school every day like I remember it was a big thing before the pandemic not to have your child in school in Britain you could get fined for taking your child out of school unnecessarily to get take advantage of a cheap holiday or whatever like you would get fined and if you didn't pay the fine you went to prison uh, the biggest reason for the rise seems to be children. students have fallen out of the habit of going to school every day. Consistent with this theory is the fact that absenteeism has risen more in states where schools remain closed for longer during the pandemic, like California and New Mexico and Washington, D.C. And, you know, look, if the state doesn't take schooling seriously, if teachers don't take schooling seriously, if teachers are lobbying to close classes, to close schools, then why would parents and why would students take education seriously? And the other thing that's really awful in this story, of course, which I think many of you will predict, and it's exactly what we said, as I said, back in October 2020, we said this. And actually, I think we also said it even before that, but that's, you know, basically three years ago we said this, um, is the fact that the impact, the negative impact of these abs- of this absenteeism is most felt by low-income people, by people who are impoverished. Mm. And the connection between... Uh, education and poor educational outcomes and chronic poverty is and crime has has been, has been well established for a very long time and crime and by the way no one absolutely no one knows more that about that than teachers and teachers unions and these are the people who insisted on the school closures knowing that the poorest among us would be the most uh, deprived and the reason why by the way I mean, most of you know this. It's very obvious. The reason why rich people are not as badly affected is rich people can afford to make alternative arrangements. Rich people will get a tutor into the house. Rich people probably can afford to have one of the family members stay at home and not go out to work, maybe even have both in the house. Mm -hmm. And, by the way, during the pandemic, as Jay Bhattacharya of the Barrington Declaration, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya to you, said... um, 
the, he called them the laptop class. So the people who got to stay at home with their laptops in their beautiful homes and they kind of enjoyed COVID. It was kind of lovely and they were there with the kids and all that and they were sort of home teaching and homeschooling. So rich people, rich people's children were not very badly adversely affected as much as people who are poor. And, so and that continues. I think the lesson is uh, if, you can afford, if you can afford to homeschool, if you can't afford to homeschool, run for election for the school board but even that isn't enough because school boards didn't have the final say it was the state uh, who or maybe i think it was the states who decided to close or not although different school boards could could sometimes go against the grain so go run for the school board and if you, if that's not enough in your state run for the state legislature because this cannot be allowed to happen again and another fabulous story i think this one now is from the los angeles times and the headline runs California no longer in drought after tropical storm Hillary. Um, most of California is drought free after the storm dumped 2.6 inches of rain. And by the way, we're recording this podcast in Ireland where we laugh in Ireland in the face of 2.6 inches of rain. Yeah. That's called Tuesday no, it's afternoon. Not 2.6. 2.2 2 to 6. Two to six inches of rain. Yes, it's called uh, Tuesday. It's called Tuesday here. But anyway, big fuss in California. But they can say for right now that the drought is over in California. However, this is the really important part of the story. Poor infrastructure prevented the state from capturing enough rainwater to hedge against another drought. So this is very, very interesting. Um, and there's a couple of statistics that we want you to bring to a conscious level. And we're going to put them up on screen because we think they're really important yes. and extraordinary. And here's the first one. California's urban areas. And this is according, by the way, to the Pacific Institute, who are fake news people, basically. They would be wanting to downplay this as much as possible. These are people, the head of this, guy, the head of this organization, faked their ID to try uh, and expose the heartland Institute's founders. Uh, he wasn't prosecuted for it. He should be. But anyway, the Pacific Institute, so imagine these statistics are probably worse than this, but go ahead, Anne. Are stronger than this, if you like. Yes. Yeah, California's urban areas let between 770,000 and 3.9 million acre feet of water spill away annually, depending on how dry or wet the year is. Yes. So, in a bad year, like for example this year when it rained for six months, so we never, yes. we'll never really get over it. We'll be suffering from post-traumatic rain disorder for almost ever because we went to California, Phil, and we were paying these extraordinary taxes, but we were guaranteed that the sun would shine all the time, and then it didn't. The sun didn't shine for six months. We're not even. We'll never get over it. Anyway, so this year there was an enormous amount of rain. Yes, three point nine million acre, acre feet, feet of, of water, water at least was allowed to fall and they let it run into the ocean. Now, you see... There's good news, Anne, though. Is there good news, Philip? Yeah. 3.2... According to Art Castro, a watershed manager for LA's Department of Water and Grace, told the journalist they captured 3.2 billion gallons from Hillary, Hurricane Damn. Hillary's downpour. Which, is, that sounds like a lot of That's water. That's a lot of water. Like 3.2 you know billion gallons. How much water is that on? Tell it's us. It's a that. lot of water film. So that would keep nearly everybody going for, for a while. No. It's actually a year's worth of water for, for 40,000 households. There are 40 million people in California. You know, there are 15 million people in Los Angeles. This would keep... It's 40,000. It's, 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 it's called a drop in the bucket. 
I think that's where the drop in the bucket comes from. Drop in the ocean. So it's amazing, you see, if only California was really, really rich, if only California, for example, had loads and loads of really technologically advanced kind of people and smart people, if only... Hmm. So California does have all of that, yet mm, California is spending too. all of its time, all of its energy, all of its intelligence working out people's pronouns, even though that is obviously easily worked out by the make it, naked eye and by the simple intelligence of any normal person. However, this is what they're spending their money on. And they're removing dams. So the, the way to capture that is to build dams and reservoirs. But there's a, the movement now is to, re, is to remove dams, is to destroy dams in California. That's what the environmental movement, that is what the legislator is pushing. So, so what you all the be, money just yeah. goes. In fact, it goes out to the ocean through drains and picks up all dirt and crap. And so once it rains in Los Angeles, you can't swim in Venice Beach for days and days afterwards because it's polluted by the, the runoff. So the runoff would A, end, end the water shortage. It's not a drought, it's a water shortage. And B, stop polluting the ocean. Climate emergency is the new pandemic. This is what they want. They want this to go on forever. They want a climate emergency. They want to say that everything is catastrophic, where the truth is that human ingenuity and human engineering can totally sort out California. All the water is running into the sea and they're doing nothing about it. And they've known about it forever and yep. they still don't do anything about it because they love the catastrophe. They're all about the catastrophe. And they want to destroy dams and not build them. And that's, that's what California. they want to do. That's where your tax dollars is going. So, as we said at the beginning, example number 5,346,972 reasons why you should not, or example of why you should not and never should and never will, please don't apologize to the mob. If you say what's on your mind, if you tell the truth, do not apologize because they're not interested in getting to the truth. They're not interested in persuading you. They're interested in showing their power over you and crushing you. So example, Rushing Murphy. She's an Irish, Irish English songwriter and a singer. Very famous. Yes, she was uh, the, the, the number two, or she was a part of a duet called Maloko, which was big in the 1990s, 2000s. She's gone solo. She's she's, she's a grown up too, obviously. She's she's almost fifty, I think. She ha she's well known for her fashion, um, you know, and her style. Electronic beats said her reputation for sporting avant garde couture uh, it puts her into a place among fashion's elite. Mm -hmm. According to uh, the Financial Times, her clothes amplify her personality. Exhibitionist, playful, uh, eclectic. Larger than life. So, hey, you know. So super cool, by the way. Super cool, basically, is all you need to know. So she was on her private Facebook page and an article, a news article, I believe, was posted. And she responded because and uh, to this, she said, she said the following. Puberty blockers are bleeped. Only she didn't use the word bleep. She used an Irish phrase. Strong language. Yes. Uh, private puberty blockers are bleeped. Absolutely desolate. Desolate. Big Pharma laughing all the way to the bank. Little mixed up kids are vulnerable and need to be protected. That's just true. Please don't call me a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Turf. Turf. Please don't keep using that word against women. So then there was the massive, you know, from the tolerant people. The well, I think the first thing that happened, which is really kind of horrible, is somebody from her friend group took a screen grab of that and basically posted it online to the world. Yes. And then the mob arrived. The mob arrived and they really arrived. They bullied, they harassed her, they threatened her. Um, and uh, she has an album coming out uh, called Hit Parade. 
and uh, so she made a big mistake. She apologised, and it was it was a, a grovelling. It was an abject apology. I cannot apologise enough for being the reason for this eruption of damaging and potentially dangerous social media fire and brimstone. To witness the ramifications of my actions and the divisions it has caused is heartbreaking. And, and then there came the bit. Now the the, the the apology went on quite a bit, but the the, the bit I found particularly sad. Uh, and and telling was I've had a personal Facebook account for years. The morning I made these comments, I was scrolling and I, and I brought up a specific issue that was only broadly related to the original post. It was something that had been on my mind. So she'd been thinking about it. You know, can't do that, especially women. Uh, I knew my friends were informed about the topic, so she was talking to her friends. I should have known too that I was stepping out of line. Oh, don't step out of line. Yes. Whatever you do, do not step out of line. What a horrible line for this woman, for this hugely successful, kind of cool woman that she now, for just expressing an opinion... She can't step out of line. You can't step out of line. So, um, I, and then... I will now bow out of this conversation within the public domain. I'm not in the slightest bit interested in turning it into any kind of campaign because campaigning is not what I do. I mean, I remember remember the Abbey Theatre had a season uh, where they only had male authors... Uh, in in the season and there was a massive campaign we need to hear cr- women's creative voices she will now bow out of the conversation within the public domain so they don't want female voices they but anyway she did apologize film and obviously everything went back to normal right no in fact it just gave energy to the censors and the bullies her record company you know they just piled on now not enough the huge harm she's done the violence of her words her record company announced they were not going to publicize her new album which is called hit period by the way and that they would be donating all profits from the new album to a trans charity whatever that is and she has had two gigs in london cancelled which i think then then so then even when that happened there was it was an international news story spectator Rolling Stone, all these uh, AV Club, all these international outlets, but the Irish media refuse to touch it because they're scared of this story. They're, you know, Fintan O'Toole, who's kind of the top writer for the Irish Times, the New York Times of Ireland, he's, he has not a dicky bird, and I wonder why. Um, amazing, amazing. By the way, so the Fintan O'Toole, you know, who is like, you know, who, you know, a Paul Krugman of the Irish Times. A feminist. Um, you know, very, oh God, he's such a radical thinker and he's such an interesting thinker, such a fresh thinker. So this massive maelstrom is happening all around him and he's in the perfect place to write about this. But you know what he is? I'll tell you what he is. I'll call it to his face. He's a scaredy cat. He's yeah. a big scaredy cat to get involved and basically say what any rational person would say that she has every right to express an opinion whether you like it or not it's not illegal anymore to express an opinion however that's it 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 may not be illegal but it's nearly illegal by the way it probably it probably probably is is illegal illegal, in certain jurisdictions like in the uk where this hate legislation uh, is coming in i think they want to make it illegal in ireland unbelievable horrible but it became an internet but the irish media ignored it and then it took another twist so john boyne who you might know as an international best-selling author. I think the, his most famous book, he's Irish, his most famous book is The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Which was made into a into a very award, multi-award winning movie. Yeah, so uh, he then came forward and I have to get this up. So this is kind of a little, this is a kind of slightly convoluted story, but it's certainly worth, worth checking this out. And by the way, if you're on Twitter, 
look at these two characters, John Boyne on Twitter. Um, we'll find his Twitter handle and put it up on the, on the screen here. And another character called Graham Lenehan. We'll put up his Twitter handle, which is Glinner. And he's a guy who created the Father Ted series, a, a series, a, a comedy series on TV in the UK and Ireland. Americans will not have seen it, but we, we can't show a clip from Father Ted or the we, we'll, we'll get a copyright infringement notification it's, from YouTube. But you can look on YouTube. It's, and very, find, it's very funny. It's very funny. I would describe it as the Derry Girls of the 1980s. It's the original Derry Girls. I think Derry Girls leaned a lot on, on the original Father Ted. It's got a very similar premise of... Uh, people in an isolated community uh, trying to make their way and you know being kind, and kind of, of exaggerating Irishisms yes, about people uh, and how uh, people talk and it's significant they're both set at exactly the same time Father Ted is set in the mid 90s and so is Derry Girls and uh, you know it, it's a very interesting cultural time in Ireland um, but John Boyne um, so Graham Linehan became very agitated and interested in the trans issue and was completely cancelled. Sorry, just once again, Graham Linehan is the creator, one uh, of the co-creators of this series Father called Father Ted. Ted. He also created a series called The IT Crowd. He was cancelled. John Boyne, uh, at the time, piled in on him uh, five years ago, piled in on him. Uh, and anyway, when this Rushy Murphy situation arose, like, and these are two major creatives in the Irish scene like in the international scene and again just sorry I interrupted you there Phelan because actually Phelan was about to say so Graham Lennon got cancelled for basically saying a man is a man a woman is a woman men women do not have penises you know I mean this is it's ridiculous children should not be fed uh, and children should not be fed yeah puberty blockers blockers. for for, and 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 that the that this is medicalizing of, of perhaps mental issues. And this guy was huge. I mean, he was huge. He was most beloved uh, comedy creator in the, in the UK and Ireland so for, he, uh, for for a de- for decades. They took the whole career off him. Yep. And so, they've impoverished him. So here's John Boyne. In 2013, when my 20th book, My Brother's Name is Jessica, was published, it must have been something. Sounds, sounds a bit transy. Yes. I wrote an article in the Irish Times where I criticised Graham Linehan's involvement in what is often called, quote, the trans debate, close quote. It's almost five years later, and during that time, he critic- he's criticised me many times, and then most recently, in late August, when I supported the singer Rushing Murphy, as in recently, uh, who was attacked for daring to, to suggest that vulnerable, sexually confused children need to be protected. Brackets. I was a vulnerable, sexually confused child once, so I appreciate the intervention. Even then, I stuck to my guns, refusing to take his criticism and board Graham Linehan's. But watching what's happened with Rushing's story in recent weeks has made me reflect on this. And this is Boeing continuing. Graham Linehan, who is, without question, one of our best screenwriters, mm-hmm. has sacrificed enormous amounts in his support of women, children, gay men and lesbians. He's experienced trauma in his personal life, being vilified for his views online, in newspapers and on television. He is currently unable to work in the industry he loves. There... There is no legal reason for me to post this message, i.e. I'm not being sued by him. The lawyers have not instructed me to make yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Graham will be as surprised by its appearance as anyone. But I've given a lot of thought to this and realized that all I did in that piece five years ago was add to the pylon of a decent man in a vulnerable place when I could have used my platform to defend and support him. Graham, without equivocation, without excuses, and without evasion, you were right. I was wrong, and I apologise. John Boyne. Yeah, we'll post that up uh, in the show notes because it's worth having a read of. And and any of you who are on Twitter, we would ask you to follow Glinner and follow uh, John Boyne and thank, thank, particularly thank, uh, more recently, thank John Boyne for this intervention because 
Um, he's being courageous and there's so little of that around. There's so yes. little around it. So when you see that and when you see somebody, you know, because it's, it's not an easy thing to say, I was wrong, you were right. Can, can, and people should be, should really do that all the time and every time when they, when they get caught. Can I just add, the Irish media, the Irish Times has not reported on the Rushing Murphy cancellation. The Irish Times has not reported on John Boyne coming forward and supporting Russian Murphy. These are He's a major international writer who's Irish. They have not reported on the fact that he has apologised to Graham Linehan, who is also one of the greatest, uh, you know, most prominent Irish writers of the last 30 years. They've just stepped out of this story because they do not want to get involved because they know the truth and therefore they are not prepared to say the truth. As, as, as a friend of ours said about people like Fintan O'Toole, their role in life is to bayonet the wounded. Hmm. And uh, they're, they're, they're afraid to, to bayonet up because they know what comes from that. And you know that recently we had, um, we had the play in, in London highlighting these trans issues and Graham Lennon was in the audience and we were very yeah. grateful that he, that, he, that he showed up because he's, he's um, a, wonderful, a wonderful person, a wonderful yeah. addition and, and he's brave and, it's, yep. and it, there's so little of that around. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of the show and... A little, little light music. A little light music at the end, yeah. So you probably know because I think the whole world know that Jimmy Buffett died and I think Americans really know who Jimmy Buffett was more than more than us now. But once we started listening to his music and reminding ourselves, we know exactly who he is. Yeah. And so I, I just I just there was one little aspect of the stories about Jimmy Buffett that struck me as um, peculiar, let's say. So here's a man who um, appa- apparently, according to everything I've read, is probably one of the richest musicians ever. Kind of extraordinary, right? Or one of the, of, of our time, uh, with a personal worth of over two point something mil- billion, billion mm. with a B, as they oh. say. And how did he make the money? Not all of it made from music, by the way. Not all of it made. Now his music was all about. I had a few drinks, and then I fell asleep, and I had a shrimp, and maybe I didn't have a shrimp, and then I went fishing, and then I got back in the boat, and then I didn't and get back. I'm a bit of a loser. Boat. And I'm a bit of a loser, and I'm kind of an everyman. Kind everyman. Of, I slightly smell, basically. So it turns out that he didn't, he made an awful lot of money, by the way, from music and from, by the way, extraordinarily hard worker from everything I read, like extraordinarily prolific, extraordinarily hard worker. So I have all kinds of respect for that. So he wrote tons and tons of albums. He never stopped touring and in fact had dates right up until his death. Interestingly enough, he was a guy who spent a lot of time in the sun and he died of um, skin carcinoma. Very, very sad, obviously, from that point of view. But here's what struck me that I thought was kind of interesting. He was involved. He was a serial entrepreneur and a very successful entrepreneur. But his, his, his whole entrepreneurial empire was very much providing items uh, uh, for the everyman. Yes. Very much for the ordinary everyman. I love the So everyman. music, restaurants, casinos, liquor, retirement homes hotels, books, multiple books, uh, successful books, and these places called Margaritaville. And Margarita, you know, and apparently he never drank a margarita or was not a margarita drinker himself. And in fact, gave up drinking altogether um, decades before his death. And I think another reason probably for his great success. But 
What I thought was very interesting in the New York Times, everyone's writing about him and people. I think he was beloved, a really beloved figure. And I think his music is, is very fun. And we played a yeah. few of the songs here and we're singing around ourselves to the music. We're not going to do that today. We might sing another day. Not yes, today, though. Not today. But um, wouldn't want to inflict that on you. I just liked this about. Uh, so just to remember, this is, and you can write and you can tell me that I've got this whole wrong. But here's what struck me as weird. He's an everyman. So he's an every he's catering to every man. He is an every man catering to every man just knowing that every man just wants a wee beer and just sit there and eat some shrimp and just look out at the horizon and maybe later I might go fishing that kind of thing right so all very casual however he had his own plane he flew around the place a lot and as I said he never stopped working so he there's a kind of a sense that you know from what I've read that he um, his first first marriage ended or whatever and then he went and found some friend brought him to the Florida Keys now I haven't been to the Florida Keys but apparently it's very nice and if anyone would like to bring me to the Florida Keys I'm available and ready to travel almost at a moment's notice by the way bag is always packed that kind of way so he went to the Florida Keys and did he love the Florida Keys he loved the Florida Keys and he was having maybe we drink and looking at the shrimp and going fishing lovely Mm -hmm. writing a bit of music Mm -hmm. and just he loved it but he moved away from the Keys in the late 70s because of the area's increasing commercialization. <laughs> now, uh, some of you maybe don't know what commercialization means. I think the translation of commercialization is ordinary people came. Mm-hmm. Ordinary people came. In fact, even every man. So every man suddenly went to the Florida Keys because every man thought, isn't that lovely, that place? And look at the lovely pictures. And you see what I think in the end of the day about Mr. Buffett? He didn't really love those smelly everyman. No. So he wanted the Florida Keys all to himself. And maybe we know that for a fact. Yes. Because then we discover where did he go? And as you said, Phelan, what was your suggestion? He gave up the Florida Keys because every man had turned of, up. No, because of commercialization. So obviously Horrible. he would go then to a log cabin with no electricity in Montana, uh, Montana Wyoming, Idaho. Kind of not Ted Kaczynski. Kind but of thing, but kind of Ted Kaczynski light. Yes, some version of a Ted Kaczynski with, a, with, a, dr- with a bar nearby. Yeah, maybe a bar nearby, and maybe he'd have a bit of a motor car. But yes. you know what I mean. All very humble because commercialization is obviously awful, right? Yes. Where did he go? On? Where did he go? So here's from the New York Times. He initially re- relocated to that most famous of everyman towns in America. Aspen, which I think, by the way, I think Aspen has as its title Aspen, the town that's not for every man. Yes. And then he made his a nice, home, a nice town, by the way, very nice town. And we've got great friends there ourselves. And we do love getting invited. And yes. don't forget to invite us again. Thanks. Thank Manly. you. Thank you, Manly. Moving on. Uh, but he also um, made his home in an island in the Caribbean called St. Bart's, which I think is also an island called not for every man, yes, Caribbean. St. Bart's was the translation from the French is St. Not for Every Man. St. Not for Every Man, Caribbean Island. Mm-hmm. And he also had a house in Palm Beach, Not for Every Man. Palm Beach, Florida. Yeah. Palm Beach, Florida, a little bit exclusive. A wee bit exclusive there. Definitely not for every man. And then he died, as you know. No, God help him. No, no, I'm not finished, Phil. I'm just warming up to it. He died, as you know, um, in the last few weeks. And where did he die? In his other home and his other home was in a place called Sag Harbor New York which I think and you can correct us and we're not going to even look it up but we think that that's in a place called the Hamptons yes and again I think the 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 type I think the reason people like to go to the Hamptons is 
they're not going to meet every man. Yes. So I just think it's an interesting thing and it maybe made me a little bit not like Mr. Buffett as much as I liked him at the beginning because I thought he he made his money pretending to be just the everyman. I just want to hang out with the boys and have a couple of yeah. beers and spit in the corner and talk nonsense and then eat some shrimp and then go fishing but he type of thing. Them. No, he kind of despised them and actually he was an incredibly industrious, very productive highly successful businessman who also sang and was very successful at that as well. And when he had any spare time, the last thing he wanted was to be with every man. So that's it now. That's a little bit. Oh, and I think you had a question. Which party would he support then? Because he's he's obviously really rich. Really, two billion. And... uh, Obviously, really, he, he must be must be industrialist. He must be one of those hard-headed Republicans because everyone knows that really rich people are Republicans. No, no, funny enough, no. He's actually, no, he's a Democrat and long-standing Democrat and actually did singing songs for Hillary Clinton and oh. singing songs for Bill Clinton and all oh, those yeah. people and, have, and helped them get elected. So that's who, that's who Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett was. But I just thought, how extraordinary. And apparently, as I said, didn't drink margarita despite creating an absolutely billion dollar uh, mega mega business called based on a kind of a theme of margaritaville anyway that's enough of that for this week um keep in touch oh i want one more thing thank you everyone who wrote and um, we asked the question last week about how people felt about photographs photographs Um, of of aborted babies and and isn't that it? I was going to yeah, well, I was going to keep it more vague. I think everyone knows what we're talking about. So photographs being used in the in the conversation about abortion and yes. and the power of photographs and whether photographs should be used. And I know it's something very sensitive to people. But I heard you. I've seen your messages and just let you know that um, keep watching this space, which does allow me to segue beautifully into the fact that we are a five hundred one c three. We are a charity. We are completely dependent on your donations yes. to keep this ship afloat do you like that given we just did jimmy buffett um and we really need your help by the way we have a very generous donor who has donated twenty five thousand dollars, which we can match and if you can help us do that mm-hmm. um and we would really ask you to to pony up because we literally do what no one else is doing uh, on the conservative side we, do podcasts, we are using the arts podcasts plays photographic exhibitions Let's um, say, yes. Movies, we made the Gosnell movie, My Son Hunter movie. And even comedy. And, and even, even comedy. comedy. And maybe we should close out the show with a little bit of comedy from my very first stand-up routine, which in fairness, seen as we started the show talking about COVID, maybe we'll end the show talking a bit about COVID. Take it this away there, I'm Michael Henning. See you next week. Bye. Bye. One of the things with the pandemic is that I'm now prepared for the next time. Because the next time I'm going to get good arms, you know what I mean? You know at the beginning when you think, I'll do, I'll, I'll get arms, you know, girls, you know how do you, yeah, I didn't do that this time. Um, the other thing that I worked out about the pandemic is that there are two types of people in the world. So there are people who, who, who want to lick doorknobs in Wuhan. And then there are those people. And you just never know. Like, that's almost the worst thing is you actually really don't know. You go and see a friend and you don't know. And then you arrive and you find out, you know, it's really scary. Do you know that feeling? You know, you go to see someone, you haven't seen them for ages, and you're thinking, 
Anyway, I'll be honest with you, I've been to a lot of super spreader events this year. Um, I, I, even went, I even went to super spreader events before it was fashionable. Um, 